Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic in the Moon podcast. As always, I am your host, David, and this week we are talking about one of my personal favorite saints, and that is Saint Lucy. So Lucia of Syracuse, for those that don't know, was a Roman Christian martyr who died allegedly during the Diocletian persecution of Christians. She's venerated as a saint in the Catholic, Anglican, Lutheran, and Eastern Orthodox churches, and likely just other high church liturgical traditions as well. And she is one of the eight women, including the Virgin Mary, who are explicitly commemorated by Catholics in the canon of the Mass. Her traditional feast day, known in Europe as St. Lucy's Day, is observed by Western Christians on the 13th of December. She was particularly honored during the Middle Ages, and she remained a well-known saint into early modern England. And she is one of the best-known virgin martyrs, along with Agatha of Sicily, Agnes of Rome, Cecilia of Rome, and Catherine of Alexandria. The oldest record her story comes from is the 5th century Acts of the Martyrs, and the single fact upon which the various accounts agree is that a disappointed suitor accused Lucy of being a Christian and that she was executed in Syracuse, Italy in the year 304 CE. Her veneration spread to Rome by the 6th century to the whole church. The oldest archaeological evidence that we have comes from the Greek inscriptions from the catacombs of St. John and Syracuse. Jacobus de Voragini's Legenda Aurea was the most widely read version of Lucy's story in the Middle Ages, and in these medieval accounts, Lucy's eyes were gouged out prior to her execution. The most ancient archaeological traces attributable to the cult of St. Lucy have been brought back to Sicily, particularly in Syracuse, and are preserved in the archaeological museums of that city. So let's talk about the, the story and the life of St. Lucy. So a lot of the details of her life are pretty typical as far as things that are attributed to like the Virgin Martyrs. Um, John Henry Blunt says that Lucy's story is a Christian romance that's pretty similar to other Virgin Martyr stories. But according to tradition, Lucy was born to a wealthy noble family in the year 283 CE. Her father was Roman, but died when she was very young. She was five years old, and this left Lucy and her mother Eutychia without any support because women... Um, at that time, especially, did not have any agency really of their own, especially if they were not married or if they were widows. So there was a lot of anxiety around uh, how they would have security without their father and their husband. So typical of other virgin martyr stories, Lucy had consecrated her virginity to God, and she had hoped to distribute her dowry to the poor. But Utikia, her mother, did not know about this, and she suffered from like a bleeding disorder. We don't really know what kind, but she had some sort of sickness to do with her blood. And she was very concerned for Lucy's future. She's thinking like, we don't have a man of the house, like my husband and her father are dead. I'm sick and don't know how long I'm going to be around. Lucy's not married. How is she going to survive, right? So not knowing of Lucy's desire to give away her money to the poor, she arranges Lucy to marry a young wealthy man from a pagan family. Important for context as well is that um, less than 50 miles from Lucy's home in Syracuse was the shrine of St. Agatha. And St. Agatha had been martyred 52 years earlier during the Decian persecution. So this shrine attracted a large number of pilgrims because of the miracles that were said to take place there. So Eutychia, Lucy's mother, she was like, I'm going to go to the shrine of St. Agatha and maybe I will be, you know, healed of my sickness. 
So while she and Lucy were there, Lucy had a dream where St. Agatha came to her and told her that her mother would be cured and that Lucy herself would be the glory of Syracuse. So while they were there, Eutychia was healed miraculously, and Lucy took the opportunity to persuade her to allow her to distribute a great part of her wealth to the poor. Eutychia suggested that she would give away the money when she died. Like, hey, like when I die, I will leave it in my will that my wealth will be distributed to those that need the money. But Lucy said, whatever you give away at death, for the Lord's sake, you give because you cannot take it with you. So you should give it now while you are healthy, whatever you intended to give away at your death. Basically saying, it's really easy to give away your money after you die because you don't need it. So if you truly want to do something good, you should give away the money now while you're alive. So her mother agrees and they start distributing the wealth. And news that this happened came to Lucy's fiance and he denounced her to Pasekius, who was the governor of Syracuse at that time. The governor ordered for Lucy to be um, to go burn a sacrifice before the image of the emperor. And when she refused, he sentenced her to be defiled in a brothel. That's gross. <laughs> That's awful. Um, yeah, hardcore stuff, right? She doesn't agree to do what he wants, so he sends her to go be sexually abused. So the Christian tradition says that when guards came to take Lucy away, they couldn't move her. It was as if she was just, like, unimaginably heavy. They couldn't take her away. They couldn't remove her from her location. They even hitched her to a team of ox, and she could not be dragged away. So then they're like, okay, we can't move her out of here to take her to the brothel, so we'll just burn her alive. So they kind of placed bundles of wood under her and then were going to throw her onto this fire, but it wouldn't light. It wouldn't burn. And then finally, um, they killed her by slitting her throat with a sword. So absent in these early narratives and traditions, at least until about the 15th century, is the story that Lucy was tortured by having her eyes gouged. And according to these later accounts, before she died, she foretold the punishment of Pasekius and the speedy end of the persecution of Christians, saying that Diocletian would no longer reign and that Maximian would meet his end. This so angered him that he ordered the guards to remove her eyes, and another version of the story has Lucy taking out her own eyes in order to discourage um, her fiancé who admired them. And when her body was prepared for burial in her family's mausoleum, it was discovered that her eyes had been miraculously restored. And this is one of the reasons that she is the patron of uh, eyes and eye problems. So that's the story, according to tradition. And by the 6th century, her story was widespread enough that she appears in the sacramentary of Pope Gregory I. She's also commemorated in the ancient Roman martyrology. St. Aldhelm, and later the Venerable Bede, attest that her popularity had already spread to England at this point, where her festival was kept until the Protestant Reformation as a holy day of the second rank in which no work was allowed. Lucy is honored in the Church of England and the Episcopal Church with a feast day on the 13th of December. And the monk Sigebert of Glembo wrote a mid-11th century um, writing in support of the local veneration of Lucy. The general Roman calendar formally had a commemoration of Lucy and St. Gimenaeus on the 16th of September, but this was removed in 1969 um, as a duplication of the feast on the 13th of December. So 
they moved it to where her only feast day was on December 13th. There are said to be relics of St. Lucy. Sigbert Flimbu, in his uh, Sermo de Santa Lucia, he wrote that her body laid undisturbed in Sicily for 400 years before Feral II, the Duke of Spoleto, captured the island and moved her body to Corfinium in Abruzzo, Italy. From there, it was removed by Emperor Otho I in 972 to Metz and then deposited in the Church of St. Vincent. And it was from this shrine that an arm of the saint was taken to the monastery of Lutberg in the Diocese of Speyer, an instant that was celebrated. The history after this point um, of Lucy's relics is kind of unclear, but according to Umberto Bengini, Stephen II sent the relics of St. Lucy to Constantinople for safety during uh, the Saracen incursions. On their capture of Constantinople in 1204, the French found some relics attributed to St. Lucy in that city, and Enrico Dandolo um, of Venice, he secured them for the monastery of St. George. In 1513, the Venetians presented to Louis XII of France the saint's head, which he deposited in the Cathedral of Borges. And another account states that the head was brought to Borges from Rome, where it had been transferred during the time when the relics rested in Corfinium. Parts of her body are presented in Sicily, and particularly in her namesake, Syracuse, which claimed to have preserved them from antiquity, and the remainder of her relics remain in Venice. They were transferred to the Church of St. Germania, where the Church of Santa Lucia was demolished in 1861 to make way for a new railway. And a century later, on the 7th of November in 1981, thieves stole all of her bones except her head, and police recovered them five weeks later on her feast day. Other parts of her body found their way to Rome, Naples, Verona, Lisbon, Milan, and Germany and France. So different conflicting stories as to whether or not her relics were preserved or how or where they were preserved. But there's lots of different stories stating that they all have different parts of her body and we don't really know anymore is the gist of that. So Lucy's Latin name comes from Lucia, which shares a root with the word for light, looks. And a number of traditions incorporate symbolic meaning of St. Lucy as the light bearer, particularly in the darkness of winter, because her feast is on December 13th. Because some versions of her story relate that her eyes were removed either by herself or by her tormentors, she is the patron saint of the eyes, of eyesight, of problems afflicting the eyes, of blindness, etc. She's also the patron saint of authors, cutlers, glaziers, laborers, martyrs, peasants, saddlers, salesmen, stained glass makers, and of Perugia, Italy, and she is invoked against hemorrhages, dysentery, health problems of the eye, and throat infections. She is also, of course, patroness of Syracuse, and at the Piazza Duomo in Syracuse, the Church of Santa Lucia houses the painting um, called The Burial of St. Lucie. She's also the patron saint of the coastal town of Olón, Ecuador, Colombia, and they celebrate a week-long festival that culminates on her feast day. And she's also the patron saint of the town of Guane Santa Ver in Colombia. And the Caribbean island of Santa Lucia is also um, named after her. So her iconography is very revealing. The emblem of eyes that she holds either in a chalice or on a plate reflects a popular devotion to her as a protector of the eyesight. And because of her name, which comes from the word light in Latin, She's called Lucy of the Eyes, Lucy of Sight, Lucy the Lightbearer. In artwork, 
and particularly in paintings, she's often shown holding her eyes in like a golden platter or a plate. And she's presented in Gothic art as holding a dish with two eyes on it while holding a palm branch, which is a symbol of her martyrdom and of her victory over evil. And other iconographic features include her holding a lamp or a dagger or a sword or between two oxen. And those kind of tell different parts of her story, of her legend, the lamp referring to just the light bearer and then daggers or swords referring to how she was executed. And of course the oxen referring to the fact that she, um, could not be removed forcibly, even when she was tied to a team of oxen. Lucy's also frequently referenced in literature, uh, including by Dante. Lucy first appears in the second chapter of Dante's Inferno, the first part of his Divine Comedy, and she acts as a messenger sent to Beatrice from the Blessed Lady, who is a reference to the Virgin Mary. And she goes to get Beatrice to send him to aid Dante. Henry Fanshawetozer identifies Lucy as representing um, illuminative grace. And according to Robert Hogue Harrison and Rachel Jackoff, Lucy's appearance is this like intermediary role is to kind of enforce the scene which Virgil tries to fortify Dante's courage to kind of begin his journey um, through the Inferno. In Purgatorio 9, 52-63, Lucy carries a sleeping Dante to the entrance of Purgatory. And since she represents light, her appearance mirrors her earlier appearance, right? Both times she carries him out of the darkness. And this light symbolism also explains why Dante tells this evening scene in the ninth chapter through the lens of her being the dawn. She carries Dante out of the literal darkness into a new day and also the figurative darkness and into his salvation. In the late Middle Ages, the shortest day of the year usually fell on or around her feast day, which is now the 13th of December. And they became associated, as in John Doan's poem, a nocturnal upon St. Lucy's day being the shortest day. And the poem begins, "'Tis the year of midnight, and it is the days." And due to some inaccuracy uh, of the Julian calendar, the shortest day actually fell a day or two earlier at that time but she's also the protagonist of a Swedish novel. Um, I'm not going to try and pronounce the Swedish name because I don't know how, but basically the translation says A Light in the Darkness, and that was written by Agnetha Schulden. So let's talk about the like popular veneration of Lucy now. So her feast day is on the 13th of December, which is in the time of Advent, and her feast once coincided with what was the winter solstice, again, the shortest day of the year, and before the calendar was reformed. So the solstice now in our current modern Gregorian calendar is around the 20th or 21st of December, but at that time it was around the 13th, which was her feast day. So her feast day is also kind of celebrated as a festival of light. She's the patron of Syracuse in Sicily, and on the 13th of December, a silver statue of St. Lucy containing her relics is paraded through the streets of the city before returning to the Cathedral of Syracuse. Sicilians recall a legend that holds that a famine ended on her feast day when ships loaded with grain entered the harbor. It's also traditional to eat grains, uh, whole grains, instead of bread on the 13th. This usually takes the form of kusia, a dish of boiled wheat berries mixed with ricotta and honey, and sometimes served with like a savory soup with beans. Lucy's veneration is particularly observed in Scandinavian countries where they have very, very long dark winters. 
Young girls dress in white dresses with red sashes, a symbol of her martyrdom, and they carry palm leaves and wear a crown or a wreath of candles on their heads. In Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and in some parts of Finland, girls dressed as St. Lucy carry Lucia buns in processions while they sing songs. And it is said that to vividly celebrate Lucy's day will help one live long and survive the winter with enough light. Special devotion to St. Lucy is practiced in the Italian regions of Lombardy, Emilia Romagana, Veneto, and other places. And in northern Italy, as well as Sicily, um, the feast is a Catholic holiday with roots that can be traced back to pre-Christian Sicily. On the 13th of every December, there are large feasts with homemade pastas and various other dishes. And there's a special dessert made with wheat berries and butter and sugar and chocolate. And large grains of wheat are representative of her eyes. And they're a treat to be indulged in only at this time of year. In Northern Italy, Lucy brings gifts to children between the 12th and 13th of December. Traditionally, a bouquet of hay is put outside of the house for Lucy's donkey, and food inside the house is for Lucy to refresh herself after a long night bringing gifts to the children. In small towns, a parade with St. Lucy is held on the eve of the 12th, where she goes through the main streets of the town, eating sweets and then giving out gifts from her cart, and she's always accompanied by her donkey. A Hungarian custom is to plant wheat in a small pot on her feast day, and then traditionally it's said that it should be sprouting by around Christmas time. And this is representing the signs of life coming back from death. And the wheat is then carried to nativity scenes and placed in the manger to be a symbol of Christ. In the Philippines, um, they hold a novena to St. Lucy nine days before her feast. And a procession of the image of St. Lucy is held in the morning during this time as well. Hymns to her called gozos are sung as well as the Spanish version of Ave Maria, which is chanted during the dawnlight procession, and this is followed by a traditional mass. And her feast is also commemorated in Barangay Sukad in Pampanga after the traditional nine-day novena, where a whole day celebration is observed with masses, festivals, processions, um, and they have contests of sculptures of St. Lucie as well. So let's talk about Lucy in the tradition of like folk magic, right? Because this Lucy is another example of a spirit that transcends religious boundaries. Um, there's a lot of folklore around St. Lucy. There's a lot of um, different like non-Christian interpretations of Lucy's story and her um, veneration and kind of what she means to different people. So like I mentioned earlier, her name, Lucia, is a derivative of the Latin word lux, which means light. And this is seen in different traditions around the world. So, it's seen in the northern countries, like Scandinavia, northern Europe areas, where she really um, is kind of, in my opinion, a continuation of pre-Christian spirit having to do with light and this can be seen in those connections before um, both Lucy and Lucifer are called light bringers one quote attributed to her says that all the bread of the furious post by the sign of the light moon in the name of holy Lucina 
fire we bring, a bounding light to rouse the long shadowed sun. So this tradition of her being a light bearer or a bringer of light um, is very old. Very, very old. She's seen uh, in some folklore. She's called Lucia or Lucina, where she's seen as either a queen of the fair folk or a queen of the elves or queen of the witches or some sort of like magical uh, creature or being where she's also associated with cats. And she would come out with her cats and kind of drive away the evil spirits, you know, ghosts or demons or witches or whatever uh, the tradition held at the time. And this is interesting because that depiction of her, especially in the geographical area of like Scandinavia, has a lot of similarities with the goddess Freya, who rode a chariot pulled by cats. So it's very interesting. And there are traditions of making like uh, Lucy cat pastries as well. So she has a lot of patronage, non-official patronage, right? Because she has her patronage in like the church. But in a lot of like folk practitioner, folk magical spaces, she's the patron saint of those that can see without eyes, of the second sight, of psychics and mediums and tarot readers and diviners and prophets and the like, because her association with light and with sight and the eyes lends itself easily to like being associated with divination. Um, and that's personally how I interact with St. Lucy a lot. She's the patron saint of my divination practice or one of them, but... Um, she is the one who brings light and the one that brings sight. And we see these other syncretisms with her as well, because in the Afro-Brazilian traditions of like Candomblé, Kimbanda, Umbanda, she is linked with the Orisha Ewa. And Ewa is a spirit also associated with like sight and prophecy and the telling of the future. So her iconography has persisted and she's become such an important figure of popular devotion, even outside of the church, that Lucy has kind of become one of those spirits that's bigger than just um, the Catholic devotion to her. So if you want to incorporate St. Lucy into your spiritual practice, um, something that I recommend is like dedicating um, a tarot reading or another form of divination to her and just kind of asking her to be present with you, calling upon her to help you um, engage in your divination and to clearly understand the messages that are meant to come through. I also view her as kind of a protective spirit. I will pray to her to bring light, um, to like reveal secrets or reveal someone's true intentions if I don't trust them. I'll ask her to cast her light and disperse like darkness or unwanted spirits from my home or from my loved ones. And she truly is a spirit that transcends religious boundaries. And there's many spirits like that. But I think there's a reason why her devotion has persisted, why she's still one of the most popular saints to this day. I think there's a reason why many of the traditions and customs around her veneration are pre-Christian in origin and why she has like these super strong links to other spirits and beings and like through syncretism and stuff and uh the origin of her name in latin for the word light looks is also the same root word of the name lucifer who is also called the light bringer so i think that's interesting to think about but i hope you enjoyed this learning about saint lucy and i'm going to close with um, a quick prayer to saint lucy hail saint lucy 
whose beautiful name means light. Shine the light and make the way out of the darkness. Shine the light and reveal the true intentions and the secrets of those that do not have our best interests in heart. Shine your light in the darkness and keep us safe from those that would do us harm. Lucy the light bearer, hear our prayers and obtain our petitions. <laughs>